0: Really, really cool. But um, as we move forward, uh, I've got a sermon on my heart. And uh, and it, we're in week three of a series that I've really enjoyed, uh, peace with all people. How many of you know we all could use a little bit of help with our relationships? Anybody ever felt that? Like, yeah, relationships are tricky. You know, people are complicated. We will always have problems in our life because we will always have people in our life. How many? Amen. Right? As a lot where there are people, there are always problems, and that is a nature that we have. It's our our broken nature going. Man, we we create issues and. There's tensions, but the Bible gives us so much on what it looks like to actually live at peace with all people. And it almost seems like this standard that could be so difficult. And yet as we've broken it down, we've started to realize, man, it's really possible as far as it depends on us to be at peace with people. We get to control our peace towards everyone else. I may not be able to control their actions, but I can control my reaction, right? I can control my part, and I can put in the work and the effort with me. And there was a uh, message, I can't remember if it was week one or week two, and I said the phrase, um, to be at peace with all people, you must first be at peace with yourself. To be at peace with all people, you must first be at peace with yourself. And something just kind of gripped my spirit when I said it. It wasn't in my notes. It wasn't anything. I felt like it was something from the Holy Spirit. Just to press into that today. Today I want to talk about what does it look like to actually find peace with ourselves and what does the Bible tell us And, and, and what does it look like to actually build peace into our lives. And I want to read from uh, the main text today. is going to be found out of Romans chapter twelve, and if you know the context at all, this is the apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church in Rome, which has now been uh, established and it's growing, and and things are happening, and um, it's actually a letter that we we build a lot of um, beliefs that we have can be found in the book of Romans. It's a really incredible book of the Bible. I would even encourage you. Um, you know, if you're, if you're newer to scripture, it is a great book to read and study and learn. And, and you're going to learn a lot about local church. And you're going to learn a lot about what it looks like to be a part of a community like this. And this passage in Romans 12 is actually massive. And, and one thing that we don't always know if we don't study the word, sometimes we can read the word and that's good, but also we want to be people who study the word and 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 actually learn what's going on. And I'd encourage you purchase a study Bible, um, look at different resources. We recently sent out lists of resources. You could email us at any time. We will help to resource you on how do you study the Word. What does that look like in your own life? But when you understand what Paul is addressing in Romans 12 verses three through eight, which is where we're going, he's actually addressing things that are societal norms. Some things that have always sort of been, and yet he's introducing a new way to be in community with one another. And he's introducing some keys, in fact, to what it looks like to be so at peace with yourself and the part that you're supposed to play in the world at large. So he's talking about peace with yourself. And he says this at the beginning. He says, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you should. We're really going to dive into that one sentence right there. Do not think more highly of yourself than you should. There is a key to being at peace with yourself in that sentence. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment, with a clear mind, with, with a clear head, with a clear heart, not not driven by extreme emotions. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Get honest with yourself in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, this is actually, it may seem like a quick sentence, the, the faith that God has distributed to each of you, but yet this would have been a bit revolutionary, and this idea that God actually distributes individual faith to individual people, and that it looks different, and that each part, he's starting to build a foundation of something that's pretty radical, is that every part of Matters. There's not this hierarchy of value within Christian community. There's not more important gifts and less important gifts. He starts to establish, actually, that there can be unity within a diversity uh, of people. And so for e- just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, here he's starting to speak to the value of, 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 hey, every single part is valuable. Every single part is needed. It becomes one body. There is value across the board. And this is actually attacking and demolishing sort of the priesthood and the laity distinction that would have actually been found in most ancient religions. This was something that was found in in ancient religions. They would have known, like, no, 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 there needs to be the top dogs. There needs to be the people who are the most anointed, there needs to be this, th- this massive distinction between priesthood and laity. And yet he starts to go, hey, you, the lay person, the person who, who who is just a Christian, a Christ follower, your part is valuable. You're a part of making up the whole functioning body. And, and you need to know your gifts, know your talents, be so self-aware, be at such peace with yourself and be so effective that you're playing your role. And that's how we're healthy as a whole. And this is We've heard this if you've been in church for a while, but this is new to the Romans. This is this is a, a, a kind of earth-shattering concept. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace God has given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. By the way, here's another massive seismic shift. They saw prophetic words in an Old Testament context was Uh, distinct to just a few key prophets throughout history every couple hundred years almost you'd get a new prophetic word they didn't see prophecy as a part of daily life in the old testament and now he's introducing hey the gifts are for today you're going to see things happen and some of you guys are going to have this deep sense of knowing this deep understanding God's going to speak to you and he puts prophecy next to serving this would have been wild because prophets were of the highest regard And so you're going to put prophecy next to basic service, like cleaning the bathrooms? Really? Like you're going to put that at the same scale? And he's saying, yes, because every gift, every part matters. He's literally breaking down. It's kind of been an underlying theme of this series. He's breaking down classism. He's breaking down rank. He's breaking down this view of that person's more valuable than me. Don't think too highly of yourself. Uh, and, and, and then, so if it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is lead to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And here he's giving a list. I think it's important. A lot of times what we do is when we're approaching scripture, if something's listed, we think it's a master list. Like those are the only things he's talking about. No, no. He only has so much pen and paper, right? So he's trying to give us a picture of what he's talking about. This is not the only gifts you can have and be like, pick one. You better pick one. That's it. That's all you got. You know, that's the master. Like, no, we don't approach scripture that way. Uh, how do we communicate? We give lists to, to help develop context. And you could almost put like an etc. 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 on this, right? Like, and these types of gifts, the things that make up the body of believers. There are many gifts. There are many parts, and it is by the grace that God has given to you, you don't, this is the tricky part, you don't get to decide it. This is where it gets really complicated with being peace with yourself. I don't get to pick which one. And man, do I want to pick it. (laughs) Right? Like, I want to choose. That one sounds better. And this is when it gets really, really tricky Sometimes Christians, we do an injustice to ourselves when we value certain people or certain roles above others. And that's sometimes where even we see certain Christian leaders get propped up and inevitably fail because there's a value placed on their gift over someone else's, and they get elevated and elevated to a place that they can't sustain. We have to look at this and go, okay, hold on, wait, wait. If I'm to be at peace with myself, number one, it opens up with this working definition of humility. I love this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you should. This is a scriptural working definition of humility. I want to suggest to us today, church, that maybe we cannot find peace with ourselves without humility. Because humility has this way of not placing too much value on ourselves, but also not undervaluing ourselves. I mean, a humble person, it doesn't mean that they're an insecure person. It actually speaks to a confidence to go, I place the right emphasis on my part, on my role. I place the right value on myself and what I do. And this whole passage is is so important because it's saying, hey, when you actually look at your part in context to the whole, you're going to discover the value. You can look at it with the humility to accept, hey, this is how I was made. This is how I've been gifted, and when I operate in that, I find strength. Another cool aspect that he's actually approaching here is philosophers of the day, back at this time, and I would even suggest today, uh, emphasized sort of proper, when it came to self-understanding, they used the cosmos, right? Astrology. Hey, look to the heavens to understand your part. Try to find your sign. Try to find your, your your slice. Try to get this. People have been desperately seeking to understand themselves, to know their part, to know their place, to know their purpose. This is an innate sense that humans have had for all mankind. Why? Because God, the word says that God was written eternity on the hearts of man. So we are desperately seeking out the greater purpose. But here Paul says, hey, it's actually not The cosmos, you actually can discover, if you would be humble enough to understand that you're a part of something bigger than yourself, then you're actually going to find out, you're going to gain self-understanding in context to Christ's body, is what he's presenting. It's not the cosmos, it's Christ. You're going to find out your place, your part to play, if you would see it through the lens of Jesus Christ, if you'd see it through the lens of a servant, if you would see it through this lens of humility. Do not think of yourself more highly than you should, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Finding peace with yourself involves having the proper view of yourself in relation to the kingdom of God, not higher, not lower. And as we look at relationships in the bigger context of this series and having peace with all people, can I I remind us that humility is key to every relationship? Humility is so key to healthy relationships. Humility is so key to being at uh, peace with all people. A humble person really, I would argue, is a, is a healthy person. Someone who carries themselves with an air of humility and this understanding of humility. So there's a couple things I want to dive into that, that really stuck out to me in this passage and in, in this series. And I want to look at finding yourself, finding your role, finding your part, and having the humility to accept that role, gaining self-awareness, and therefore being somebody who is a bringer of peace. One of the first things we see about humility is that humility is self-aware. Do not think of yourself more highly than you should, but do Approach it with sober judgment. Humility is self aware. How well do you know yourself? Right? And I think this is one of those pieces where every time I begin to think that I've discovered myself, I go through some type of change or something happens or I surprise myself or or a shift. There's certain things I'm doing now at my age that 21 year old Sam would look at and be like, What are you doing? Why are you in bed at 9:15? Cause I'm tired. I'm so tired, <laughs> right? It's like there would be so like, what are you doing? Because sometimes self-awareness, how I many you know it's not an arrival point. It is a consistent. Muscle that we need to flex. We need to constantly be looking at ourselves. Who am I in context with my current role? I even think that at times, when you look at the gifts and the part that you play, I think it even changes in different seasons. Sometimes people go through the greatest struggles when they're not willing to step into the next season. Uh, sometimes we glorify a past season so much, and we love the role that we had then, that we're missing out on the role that God has for us now. It's hard. It's not easy. I I mean, just this week, there was this massive, I'll be just honest, there was this massive, awesome youth pastor conference down in Florida, and I had this moment, I saw it on social media, like, oh, I miss those, right? It's not evil or sinful to miss those. But if I look at that and I long for a different season when I was a youth pastor, if I put too much value on that and I don't love and enjoy the current season I'm in and thrive in that, how many know that can become dysfunctional? It's, it's good to go, hey, that was awesome. I praise God for that season, but praise God I'm now in this season. And when we live, live each one to the fullest, we can actually gain so much knowledge about who we are, how we were made, how we were gifted, and what that looks like. If you have any hope of playing your part in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, I really think one of those pieces is you first need to know your heart. To play your part, you need to know your heart. We need to go through this, search me and know me, look into my innermost being, God, expose anything in me that's ugly, help me to understand myself, help me to grow in the knowledge of who I am. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. I love this, you know, maybe they didn't have mirrors. We could say mirrors too, but right, there's a reflection and you see yourself, so our life and what we produce and the things we're doing begin to showcase a bit of our heart and begin to show us some things. Okay, am I actually evaluating? Why did I react that way? Why did I act that way? Why did that come out of me? Why was there that arrogant piece inside of me? I need to become self-aware so I can address and identify I, how many of you know it's a lot less painful when you realize you're thinking too highly of yourself than when someone has to point it out? It's way less painful. Like, well, I think I'm getting a little too big on myself. I think I'm valuing my, myself a little too high right now. I think I'm getting, or even at the same time, it's even important, I think, to be able to evaluate yourself. Hey, I'm worth more than what I'm currently thinking I am and not needing so much people people always to point out like hey don't get so arrogant or hey don't get so insecure humility is self aware i'm not placing too high of a value but i'm not placing too low of a value either i'm confident in how i operate i'm confident in my role and um but i would i would think though pretty simply put that The reality of how do we gain that understanding? Okay, how do we get this better understanding of who we are? It's actually found in, in honestly, God's presence. John 15, 5-6 says, I am the vine, and, and church, you are the branches. I am the main vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. When you abide... You discover your purpose. When you abide in him, when you build your life off the foundation of the Bible, when you build your life off the foundation of his presence, when you're consistently identifying what we did in worship, wait, I have a heart of flesh. God's presence is inside of me. When I spend time with him, when I connect with him, I used to use this illustration with uh, teenagers, but I think we all can need the reminder. They'd be like, well, if, if God's in me, why can't I feel him all the time? I said, Well, have you ever lived, have you ever had a season where you live in the same house with your brother or sister, but you don't talk to them? And they're like, Well, yeah, I'll go a month without talking to my sister. We close the doors, we don't talk. I said, Yes, you live in the same house, but you never speak to each other. In the same way, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. You're living in the same house, but He's a gentleman. He's not going to force Himself on you. So you have to actually open that door and say, Hey, let's have a conversation. Sometimes you need to engage. And there are times where I feel like I've had that the presence of God just meet me where I'm at and come and invade my space. But how often a relationship has to be both ways. Abiding looks like he abides in you and you abide in him. Make it, you want a relationship with God? Make it go both ways. Make it go both ways. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. How many of you guys have the houses full of what they call stems right now? Stems are popular. The cut off, like you ever cut things and decorate with stems. I know Renee, our whole house is full of what stems. I call them weeds, but she calls them stems, okay? Cuz that's the decorative term. But right there are there are there are things around our house that have been cut off from the vine. And they only have a certain shelf life. And then eventually we do. We literally throw them in the fire. They have a shelf life before they die. They have a shelf life before they wither and, 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 and dry up. You have to stay connected. So if you're to develop hel- healthy humility, a self-aware humility, you need to be abiding. Because I believe God is very, uh, right, if, if we spend that time in his presence, he's gentle to show us, hey, hey, you got you to gotta bring it down a little bit. You're pretty big on yourself right now. Hey you, Hey, hey, come on, don't think of yourself so low. Let me elevate your thinking. Don't you dare forget that I created you, that I made you, that, that I set you apart for a purpose? Abiding in him really helps us to maintain a healthy value system on ourselves, a healthy view of ourselves. Our value is directly connected, I believe, to our willingness to abide humility begins with reminding ourselves that apart from him, we are nothing. Come on, what a humbling thing. Apart from God, I can accomplish nothing. The second thought I want to drive home today is that one that we teased on the first week, and we're actually going to go back to our main passage out of Romans chapter 12 uh, for this whole series, but this idea that one way to test, am, am, I, am I self-aware, am I, am, I, is, am I at peace with myself, am I humble, is the reality that humility associates with all. Humility associates with all. And we read this verse out of Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And I helped us understand that low position really here would have been defined as somebody who can do nothing for you. Be willing to associate with people. Do not be conceited. And I love this idea, live in harmony with one another, be at peace with all people. And that actually if you're unwilling to associate with certain groups, certain people, certain differences, that that's actually arrogance. Do not be proud because that is automatically proud. You cannot be at peace with all people if you are so proud that you won't talk to and and engage with and associate with certain people of certain backgrounds That you limit that. You see, the reality that Jesus said, this is one of the things you cannot argue. There is nobody who can argue the reality that Jesus associated with everybody. And and there's one particular story. I I think it's Luke 7. I don't have the spot down. But there's a particular story where Jesus, he's actually having a meal at a Pharisee's house. And it actually says that he was lounging at this, the home of the Pharisees and they were dining. What that means is we had talked a few weeks ago about the different rooms that they would have. They would literally have different levels of, 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 of uh, depending on where you were at in society, depending on your class, which room you could get into. What that means is this Pharisee had him in like, you know, like his penthouse suite, right? This Pharisee had him lounging and, and was whining and dining him. And, and what's interesting is you'd be like, why would a Pharisee want to meet with Jesus? This is before Jesus had really made them all angry, and he had been blowing up. Jesus was a viral sensation. Everything he was touching was turning to gold. People were following him. People were leaving John the Baptist to go with Jesus. I mean, the crowds were exploding, and he was becoming a sought-after communicator. He was becoming a big deal. He was becoming somebody who was a famous Teacher. So this Pharisee literally has Jesus in this room for clout. That's it. It's all about clout. It's all about saying, hey, I want to look at who is in my room. There was probably other prominent leaders in there, and he's having a conversation. Isn't it weird that Jesus is sitting down and having a a, a civil dinner with the people group that was going to kill him? And then we know in this story that many scholars believe it was a prostitute actually came in and began to cry at his feet began to clean his feet, pour perfume on his feet. Creates this kind of awkward moment, if we're being honest, right? And the Pharisee, we know, according to Scripture, he actually thought in his mind, man, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is at his feet. Which is interesting. One, why is she in the home of the the Pharisee? Two, how did he know what her profession was? Just saying. (laughs) Call him out. You know, he didn't want to say anything. He wasn't going to be the one that said he knew. And yet Jesus knew what he was thinking and calls him out. And actually this woman, he says, Pharisee, you actually didn't honor me. You were too proud. You didn't anoint my head with any oil. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me the proper service. You actually thought yourself above me. And you didn't give me proper treatment when I came into your house. But this woman understands who I am. This woman in humility grasps her role. That if she would abide in me, the true vine, that she could bear much fruit. And that her past could actually be forgiven. And this is the public moment where he actually forgives her sins and says, salvation has come. And everyone goes, who is this guy that says he can forgive sins and save people? But in this moment, we see Jesus associating with all. And it was awkward. He's got a woman of that profession at his feet. And he calls out the man in his own home. Calls out the Pharisee. That is awkward. You don't call out the person who's hosting. I mean, this is an awkward moment. He is associating with all at this table. And he's willing to occupy all different spaces. We know he talks to the Samaritan woman at the well. And this was shocking to every, I mean, He has a way of loving all people. He would get around lepers. Nobody would touch lepers. The outcasts, the low positions of society, he allowed in. But he also had... The intelligence and the confidence to occupy spaces with political leaders. He also had the intelligence and, and he could occupy spaces with, 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 with affluent people. He, all the whole spectrum. Humility. When we bathe ourselves in humility, we don't think too highly of ourselves. And we don't think too low of ourselves. We, have, we create this ability, literally, to occupy spaces with all types of people. I'm not too important for you and I'm not too low for you. It says, I can, I, can go in, I can go in any room. And as a Christian, I really believe Christ followers more than ever. It is, we need to be desperately discovering ways that we are the influencers of the rooms that we walk into. We are not influenced by the rooms we walk into. We, when we walk into a workplace, it shifts. When we walk into a restaurant, it shifts. When we walk into someone's home, it shifts. Why? Because we are carriers of the presence of God. And when we are cloaked in humility that comes from the self-awareness that we discovered in abiding with the true vine, in discovering our part, then something amazing happens. Who are those people that can do nothing for you? Who are those people? What does that look like? Who have you been avoiding associating with? I clearly remember, especially high school, Sam, I was very picky about who I associated with. I was super picky. One of my best friends in high school. We became best friends because I remember. Well, I remember the moment we were at the fire muster uh, day in Burnsville. It was like one of those carnivals, and I remember he walked up and he had five girls around him, and I was like, "You're gonna be my friend. You got five girls walking around you." And I literally go up to him, meet him, and we actually become best friends because I'm going, "You're attracting what I want to attract." <laughs> so. Come on, like we're going to be best friends. Like let's, you know, I'm going to your house today. <laughs> let's hang out. Why? Because I'm going, I want to associate with someone who can benefit me. And that's shallow. That friendship didn't last, right? It's a shallow reason. And yet so often we do that. But are we willing, what if we flip it and we go, man, that person is totally alone, completely isolated, has no benefit to me. But it could be life or death whether or not I associate with them. So I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to engage with them, and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to care for them, and I'm going to listen. And, and, and I think there's something about that. There's something about pressing into those types of relationships. Essentially, we talked so last week so much about speaking love and watching our words, and, which is so powerful. But how many of you know we can't stop at speaking love? We have to move into showing love. We need to go beyond just lip service. We need to go beyond just words, but we need to move into action, right action. Humility values the person more than what they can produce, more than their production. The last thought I want to have as the keys come on up is that humility, humility plays its part. And this is really the, at the heart of this passage is, I believe it's really important, this entire passage at the beginning that we read out of Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. The entire section of Scripture, Paul is actually talking about. I mean, he did whole studies on this. He's talking about understanding self-awareness. Again, what was the opening phrase? To be at peace with all people, you must first be at peace with yourself. He's talking about understanding your part, your place, and your role, but doing it from a place of humility. Humility is what he opens with. Essentially, if you're not humble, you'll never learn to accept your role. You'll always be pining after what you don't have. Without humility, you're actually going to lack confidence. You've heard me say it. I, I hate that humility is often associated with insecurity. Trust drives me crazy. Humility doesn't mean you're insecure and you lack confidence. No, no, no. A very humble human can be extremely confident because they know who they are They know the part that they are to play. They don't overvalue themselves or undervalue themselves. And they are confident in their God-given gifts and abilities. And they give him all the credit. Hey, it's not me. Apart from him, I can do nothing. I'm just playing my part. And you're drawn to that. Why? Because this is what it looks like to be attached to the true vine and to produce good fruit. I don't want to be cut off. And if I go try to do what Alex is made to do, then I'm going to cut myself off from the true vine. And I'm going to carry things I was never made to carry. Humility is essential to actually playing your part. Do you know, there might be people in your life that you have the least amount of peace with, that if you were to get really honest... You might realize that the reason you have no peace is because you kind of want what they have. Or vice versa, that maybe they want what you have. So many problems I've seen with humans and relationships has to do with, man, it's envy, it's jealousy, and it's comparison. Why didn't I get the gift you have? Why didn't I get the talent you do? Why don't I look the way you are? Why don't I have, why didn't God equip me for that? You know, it was a really simple conversation, but it was actually really profound. In the lobby last Sunday, we were just talking with some guys. And we were talking about sheetrocking the, the, the kids' auditorium. And one of the guys in the in the conversation, he goes, you know what? That is not my part. <laughs> I will give, but I'm not the one hanging the sheetrock. You don't want me doing that. But the confidence to say that, I loved it. Hey, love that. That's not my part. I'm going to play my part, but it's not hanging sheetrock. I know my part, and I'm good with it. But then the confidence for those that said, hey, that is my part. I will hang some She-Rock. Let's do it. And and understanding, hey, the the, the giftings, they're different. And I'm going to own my role, and I'm not going to covet yours. I'm going to be confident in mine. It's so powerful. so powerful. Comparison. You see, when we start comparing gifts, this is when things get messy. It's when humility breaks down, and we either get insecure or arrogant comparison is the breeding ground of jealousy. You show me jealousy and it started with comparison. You looked at what they had, then you looked at what you had, and you wished you had what they had. Why don't I have what they have? Why is mine less? Why is mine not as good? And we start to think that the value system, the scale in the kingdom of God is the same as the scale the world has. See, comparison starts to make us weigh it according to influence and popularity and and followers and money and status and, you know, socioeconomic uh, spaces that we occupy. It starts to make us compare on the wrong things. So comparison is the breeding ground of jealousy. And jealousy is so gifted at creating division. It breaks down peace. I'm not at peace with you if I'm jealous of you. Let's just be honest. I don't know that it's possible. To be at peace with you if I'm jealous of what you have. I loved it. This week I got a call from someone in the church. We were praying around a, a win for them in, in their business. And, and, and I, they called and said, it, it happened. It went through. And I'm like, yes! Right? I'm, I, I will be your cheering squad. Like, I will be your cheering squad. And, and, and what if our whole church was that way? How many of you know sometimes the shortest list is the people that want to celebrate with you? When you win, it's like who can I call that's actually gonna celebrate with me? You ever had that moment? Like I don't want to breed jealousy, but I want someone. This was a big deal. And one of the beautiful ways to not be jealous of someone is to partner with them in prayer for what they're believing for. See, when I'm praying for them, God starts to soften my heart. And go, oh God, I want. I'm wishing the best, and I'm, I'm believing with them. I wanna. I wanna be a church as a culture of hey, we celebrate our wins and we rally around each other and we don't kick anybody when they're down and we don't elevate them too high when they're up, right? Put the right value on it. Comparison breeds jealousy. Craig Rochelle has one of my all-time favorite quotes. The quickest way to ruin something special is to compare it to something else. I love how general this is. The quickest way to ruin anything special is comparing it to anything else. Just stop. Just let it be special. Let your gift be special. Value who you were made to be. Value the role you were created to do. Humility plays its part. You will never be at peace with what you have if you are always looking at what someone else is carrying. And I think one thing that's beautiful, I referenced this and I realized I wanted to go back and I, I, I misreferenced it a couple months ago but there was a study from the New England Journal of Medicine that was done in 2018 and it found that the most productive age in a person's life is age 60 to 70 60 to 70 the most productive the second most productive age what do you think it is? second most if the first is 60 to 70 it's got to be the 20s, right? Those 20 year olds, they got all the energy, right? They're active. Nope, it's 70 and 80, it actually goes up, not down. And then the third most productive decade is 50 to 60. And I love this word productive. And see what the study understands is when you're 20s, you're more active, but you're not productive. Because you are trying to figure out what you're good at you're trying to build some confidence in your gifts. You're trying to figure out what you were made to do. But those who can start to occupy that space of saying, you know what, I'm good with what I'm good at. I'm just good, I'm good with what I'm good at. So I am more productive because I'm no longer spinning my wheels, trying all this stuff that I should not. I have no business doing. I am confident in my role. Working on the sheetrock, my dad and I had a conversation about this yesterday. He was like, yeah, lately, when my job's asking me to do things that aren't my skill set, he's like, I'm just I'm good. I'd rather stay home than do something that I'm not good at. And I loved that. The confidence that you know I'm not I'm not good at that. That's fine. I'm fine that I'm not good at it. I don't need to waste my time trying to prove to myself that I can do everything. I don't want to do everything. I want to do the right things. It's maturity. It's health. We're designed to only carry what we're created for. And that's where Jesus promises, I'm not going to put anything ill-fitting or heavy-laden on you. Ill-fitting. But you have to abide in Him to learn your gift. You have to abide in Him from a place of humility to learn your role, to be confident in it, so that you can actually be at peace with yourself, like who you are, so that therefore you can bring peace into the world and have peace with all people. But there's an effort to this that is needed. There is a process That takes time. See, when we operate in humility long enough, we can actually, we're operating in humility long enough to find our place is central to being at peace with all people. When we operate in this long enough, when we operate in our gifts for an extended period of time, we start to realize, wow, a humble person is a peaceful person. Wow. Somebody who's confident in their gifts, confident in their role, So important. When you operate in your gift for long enough, you stop longing for someone else's. You just stick with what you're good at. Stick to that. Be productive. Be confident. Be aware. Peace is going to exude from you. Humility is going to come from you. And you're not going to think too highly of yourself, but you're also not going to think too lowly of yourself. So I want us to do just a quick self-evaluation moment. I'm not calling the whole band up this week. We're just going to have kind of a quiet moment, actually, and then the prayer teams are going to come up in a moment. But with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to do this for a moment. Don't, Don't look around. Do not even be thinking about the person next to you. I don't care if they're your spouse. I don't care who they are. Do not be considering what they should be hearing from this message. I want you to think about what you should be hearing from this message. The body of Christ is this beautiful thing that when it works together and everybody plays their part, it's effective in the kingdom of God. It moves things forward. You have a role. You have a purpose. The Bible actually says that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He he has cemented them into the fabric of you as a created human. He's made you for a purpose. He sets you apart to do good works. But where have you been missing it? Where have you been losing sight of this? Where have you been maybe overvaluing yourself or undervaluing yourself? Have you been looking at someone else's gift over your gift? Or have you been placing that right value? Where where does humility need to show up in your life? What does that look like? Humility is self-aware. Do the work. Abide right now with Jesus. Gain self-awareness. Allow him to speak to you on even the associations that show some of our arrogance that we might have. Who in my life should I be associating with? Begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what is some of my part? What's my next right step? What is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing? Help me to know some of my parts, some of my gifts, some of my talents, some of my abilities. What that looks like to influence the spaces that I occupy. So if you're here and you feel like, man, I just, I feel the presence of God and I got some work to do in being at peace with myself so that I can then be at peace with all people and and you just want me to pray for you and you just feel this message has challenged you or encouraged you, but you just want to be a part of this prayer, would you just slip a hand up just so I can know who I'm praying for? I just want to know who I'm praying for today. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Amazing, incredible. So God, I lift up everybody right now that you're speaking to in this moment. We thank you that your presence is in the room and and it's actually doing a work in our hearts. We're abiding right now to the true vine. We thank you that you have the ability, even if we've disconnected, you're gonna graft us back in. We're gonna regrow, we're gonna get healthy. Would we be so confident in our role, in our part, in in the part that we get to play? Holy Spirit, would you just speak to our hearts on what it looks like to be productive, not just active, but productive, show us where we've gotten too high on ourselves but also show us the areas we're getting too low on ourselves speak to us through our abiding right now Jesus we pray come on everybody in the house who love Jesus said everybody in the house who love Jesus said amen amen you can stand here